Hi, welcome to the Biffa podcast, the show from the British Independent Film Awards that brings together two artists from in front of and behind the camera for a conversation about how film has shaped their lives. For this episode, actor and musician Riz Ahmed spoke to his friend and collaborator, director Jan Demange. After breaking out with roles in independent releases like The Road to Guantanamo and Four Lions, Riz has appeared in Star Wars films, received Emmy nominations for his TV work in murder thriller The Night Of, and an Oscar nomination for his performance as a drummer who loses his hearing in last year's Sound of Metal. Jan Demange's debut feature 71, a gripping examination of violence during the Troubles, led to him winning the Best Director Award at the Biffers back in 2014. He's since directed Matthew McConaughey in 2018 crime drama White Boy Rick, and most recently, the pilot of Jordan Peele-produced horror series Lovecraft Country. Here, Jan and Riz explore the glass ceiling they discovered when working in film in the UK, the international films that inspired them and the alternative means they had of discovering them, as well as their comedy ambitions, and just why Riz's new film Encounter, which has earned him a Biffa nomination for Best Actor, is the one that his cousins say is his best yet. How's it going, yeah? Riz, Riz, Riz. Good, how are you doing? I'm good, man. It's good to see you. It's, uh, you it's good to see you in London as well. You've been in London recently, but I know you're you're kind of splitting your time more in, in LA. How's that been? It's all right. I miss London. You know, it feels like I've got to be out there right now to shoot some commercials between films. I can't really do that in the UK, but I miss London. I was stuck out there because of a visa, a visa issue. So if I left the country, I couldn't get back in. But it's been hectic since I got back. You know, it's catching up with the family and everything. Yeah. It's good to be back. It's good to see you, bro. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Kind of coming back here and going there because I was kind of thinking about this the other day and it's like so much of our work is there. We both set up our production companies and they're kind of, you know, our staff and people we work with are out there. But I still feel so anchored to London, and when I say anchor, I don't mean weighed down by it, but I feel just very rooted in this. And and it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I know this is like the Biffa podcast and we both kind of British independent film been such a big part of our journey. But I don't know, like, how do you, how does kind of the UK factor in your work and career now? Do you feel like it's more it's the source of inspiration for you than it is the kind of the, the industry that you work in or, or what? First of all, I think of the industry is quite global now, which it wasn't, it was more compartmentalized mm. before, wasn't it? When we were starting out, we first met, you were a film or a TV director or commercials director. And now, you know, that compartmentalization has sort of died down and, and the, the lines are blurred and every film company in the world ran to TV, the onset of streaming. So everything's kind of become more global. And, but, you know, pontification side of that state of the industry, I think it's like, yeah, London. I'm always, I'm a Londoner and I've always, we talk about this all the time, you know, uh, I've always wanted to do London films. And the truth of the matter is like when we were popping out, you couldn't get the sort of films I wanted to make, get made, you know, like I had a Brixton Wright idea or I had, but, you know, various, let's say, POC film ideas. You just couldn't get them made. You couldn't, the foreign sales model just was saying you couldn't get it done. I could raise finance. You know, the, one of the main routes I kept getting offered were like, you know, British period films or British. T- I, ironically, I ended up doing my version of one, which was Seventh Month. And I'm very grateful. Yeah, it's a lovely me. period drama. 
It's a Downton Abbey spin-off. It's my version of a Jane Austen film. <laughs> yeah, set in 1871, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't seen 71, yeah, Jack O'Connell plays the Lord of a Manor. <laughs> exactly, bro. It's upstairs, downstairs. It's pure he as He looks form. great in a bonnet, I have to say. But, I mean, look, we chat about this all the time, right? Like, you know, not to be vulgar, but the truth is he hit the glass ceiling here real quick. A lot of people had to go out there before they can come back here. You know, he just talked about it quite elegantly to me once. You know, we all have to, we all feel there's a point where you need to go out to the States. And, but beautiful wait a minute, now, wait, I think... Did you just have that chat with you? I thought he just had that chat with me. Has he been recycling the same chat to everyone? Mate, I think he just, he's on repeat. <laughs> I think he had it with me before he had it with you, because be the fair. DJ, isn't it? He? he just leaves it on loop. <laughs> it's the same thing, just going around. Wait a minute. No, 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 wait a minute. I would like to think that he had the chat with me first. So yeah. you got you got the sloppy seconds. Do you what, remember? What remember when we? Do you remember when we were on that British Stars of Tomorrow trip with uh, Uradi? Uradi, it was me, you, Uradi. We was like a load of us, and Daniel Kaluuya was on it as well, wasn't it? Daniel Kaluuya, Aaron Creevy, Ironic. Like eight, a decade later, like me, you, Daniel, were end up in the states. You know, companies there, but actually, every time I bump into him, it's the same. We, we talk desperate to desperate to make content now in London and leverage. This, this, these companies or the positions or however you want to put it to now start telling our stories here um, and own them in a particular way which we couldn't before so I'm excited about the future when it comes to London film and um, yeah. I mean I guess I'm supposed to be interviewing you for this but yeah but now we'll come to Encounter in a minute actually because Encounter is a kind of good example of yeah how those lines are blurred you know it's kind of uh British filmmaker, British cast, British production company, but a very American film in a way, but also one that speaks to just the state of the world right now. We'll come into that for a minute, but it's interesting what you're saying about the kind of going to America and coming back. And obviously Daniel was just texting with him as well. And he was he's back here now for the, for a moment. And it's something that obviously keeps pulling us back here. It is, of course, home it is, you know, where we're from and we're so proud of it. And yet there's a kind of weird thing where, yeah, we have to go to America, tell American stories, play Americans in order to, to be able to then come back and tell our stories and our stories that are set here. There's something, I don't know, but I, th- I wonder if, you know, this, not to get too biblical, but it's like that prodigal, prodigal son idea, isn't it? Where you leave home and come back. There's something very powerful in that homecoming. You come back home and you see it again with fresh eyes and you just realise like just the gold mine of stories that we're sitting on here and it's so yeah. beautiful to see films like Rocks, which I was a big uh, advocate of, you know, last year's Biffers, big winner of the Biffers. And to see films like that coming to the fore, you know, to sit alongside French films. like Look at things like Michaela Cole. Like, you know, we talk about Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You. I know it's not a film, but talk of a voice that just bypassed it or just went in a purest way and went straight after it. And Rox yeah. is very much in that vein. I'm proud of seeing that. That I'm proud of seeing that now the film industry is stretched and to allow space for films like Rox to feel commercially viable and people to back them. Yeah, it's weird. Though. I mean, but you do get those things popping up. Now, I remember like a decade ago, Bullet Boy with Ashley Walters, it came up and it was like, wow, okay, it's this new wave. And Bruh, then it kind of disappears. It's more than a decade ago. It's almost it, a decade when I did Top Boy. It's like, it's got to be yeah, 20 something years, 20 years, old, years 20 ago. Years probably. So you, you, you have these moments and it's about, yes, is, is it about a kind of a, a drop in the water? Or is it about a kind of an expansion of the whole, of, of, of the whole industry? And I, I don't know, like, I'd like to think that things are shifting. I mean, you're French. 
and obviously you have access to that and French cinema and, and you know everything that that has to offer. I mean, I grew up watching very different film. I did not grow up watching, you know, French cinema. I grew up watching. What What did you grow up watching? We never had we've never had this chat. Like, what were what got you into? What were your films? In a weird way, I was going to say that you know you've got films like Rocks or whatever, and you've got there's such a strong French tradition of films like La Haine or Les Misérables or Entre les Murs, and these films that are kind of yeah, I don't know, show, show a different side to France. Not to say the French are doing it better than we are in terms of being inclusive, you know, that's a, that's a bigger and different debate. But, you know, you growing up watching French films and having that, it must have been interesting for you to, to kind of have that, to see yourself or see a version of your own experience on screen. You felt, you know, feeling like an outsider, a French guy in the UK to watch French films. And in a way, I've reached for the same thing. I grew up watching Bollywood, really, and watching Kung Fu films. Something about that, I don't know, maybe on some deep subconscious level, we're seeing like Asian dudes running around being the heroes, you know, just obsessed with Kung Fu films, obsessed with Bruce Lee, with Jackie Chan. Yeah, just to see that, it's like, this guy doesn't look like anyone else and he's the man. I was obsessed with Bruce Lee. I mean, how couldn't you be like, it was, I was obsessed. I say with French cinema, it's not that I saw myself represented in French cinema, Mm. to be honest with you. I mean, you mentioned a few films they're complete unicorns, you know. France, yeah, France makes two hundred films a year. How many do you? How many can you mention for the last four years? The Those are the only three I've ever seen, mate. So that's all I've got. Really. It's all right. I, I can get them dubbed for you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'll dub them. Let's remake them. Rather than dubbing a film, I always say remake it. There's a job. There's a job in it for me. There's probably a few of them we can get off the ground. I keep getting asked to remake Melville films, and I just think, why would you touch? Why would you go to the masterpieces and remake them? Or someone that was trying to remake a profit for a while and you're like, I think up. someone is. I think someone is. <laughs> so they are. They're making it as a TV show now. It's shocking. Uh, I was like, bro, I can't do that. I mean, French cinema, like the ones you mentioned are anomalies, aren't they? I'm, I'm, I'm a French Algerian. So yeah, there was, there were, there was a tradition be on the, on the margins of French cinema that of indie film where there was Algerian stories slightly represented, but very marginalised, very slight. I guess I was expo- I was exposed to French cinema because my mum couldn't speak English. She had, we had a VHS machine and she'd get sent, like, posted VHSs. So I'd be exposed to that, but I'd watch, you know, I'd stay up way too late under no parental supervision at all. I'd stay up way too late watching, you know, all the films that were on Channel 4 at the time. So mm. Weird, you'd watch Carousel, you'd watch a lot of, like, John Carpenter... And yeah, obsessed, obsessed with Kung Fu films, martial art films. I mean, I've devoured them. It was like the time yeah. of the VHS for me. You all know, like the VHS thing. I go down every, yeah. every other day, rent three or four VHSs. So we go to the post office basically. I mean, particularly with my cousin, um, we just used to have these sleepovers where we just go there and go to the post office and just rent out films. And actually, you know what? When I think about, you know, talking about parental supervision as well, so I used to get babysat by my uncles and they were really not interested in doing that. So they would just watch films and we would just watch it with them. And to be honest, we really should not have been watching Nightmare on Elm Street when we were five, six years old. We were just babysat by horror films. 
I'm traumatized, but I can't watch horror horror films to this day. I'm, uh, I just I swear I've got sleeping disorder to this day because of films. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Freddy Krueger got me bad. Freddy Krueger, man. Got me bad. The original Halloween just... got me bad. Got me bad. <laughs> you know, mainly kids, kids are like, man, Peppa Pig, Teletubbies. Yeah, no. I, I grew up just being like, Freddy Krueger. It's like, so I think there's something wrong with your son, miss. So yeah, I don't know. Um, definitely, there was there was uh, a lot of VHS babysitting going on, um, a lot of kung fu horror and Bollywood. And what's interesting about Bollywood is, well, obviously, like everyone on screen's brown, you know. And it was weird because the next thing that I then jumped to that I remember becoming more obsessed with was after that was the Italian American stories and leapfrogging from kind of kung fu films and Bollywood to basically Goodfellas. And then from there, you know, Casino and The Godfather and Once Upon a Time in America and Mobsters. Scarface. Scarface and all of those. And that was, I guess, I felt I could relate to it. I felt like, okay, I don't know, maybe when you're younger, you're like, okay, here's this, here's this totally brown world or this totally Asian world and I can see myself in that. But then you kind of grow a bit older and you go, but that's not my experience. I'm an outsider. I'm one of those people in this world. And then something about those Italian-American stories that's so much about this, this ethnic outsider, this immigrant outsider trying to hustle their way through it. I just felt I could completely relate to it. The family dynamics, the big family vibe, the slightly dodgy family thing as well. It was just like... 100% with you, like 100%. It's that immigrant, I've come here, I'm going to take it all. It was also the unapologetic nature of them because like, you know, my, my mum was here. She like she'd never. She she was always like, look, keep your head down, don't get too noticed. Da, da, da. And I love those immigrant stories where they're like, they're the opposite. They're like, I'm here, I'm gonna have it. You know. Yeah, yeah. My old man had an element of that. Like they, they arrived and it was like, right, we're having it. And I, you know, so I can see how I've always sort of I've never thought of it in those terms, but yeah, I completely identified and loved those stories because there is that kind of there is a sort of you know fantasy wish fulfillment element to it of the immigrant story where you arrive but you're not. You're not subservient. You're not apologetic. Mm. You're take. You're taking. You're taking your piece. I've always kind of like loved that element to it. Yeah, and preserving the old traditions and culture, but also, kind of, it, yeah, it, it, but also kind of fighting against them, fighting to keep them. There's, you know, a lot of those films. They're really just about culture clash. You know, they're about okay, these collectivist communities have a different way of operating suddenly coming and transplanting into this kind of individualistic capitalist societies and being asked to like bow to these structures and they're going no i'm not going to we're not doing that we we operate differently uh, it's holding on to your holding on to your cultural traditions isn't it it's like not it's like is. holding on to your cultural traditions and exporting them and living within this new structure but preserving your own your own code yeah so there was something that, that i just could massively relate to in them and i just became obsessed with that, really, and to this day, I think Goodfellas is probably my favourite film. Really? Yeah. You know, any time that film is on, and every now and again it's on TV, you just have to watch it. Yeah, it's what it's the, it's the one. I mean, how many times have you been shooting on location it turns up on in a hotel room? It's just one you end up watching. That, Godfather, you just end up, whatever point you catch it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. the same, I'll just watch it. Yeah, I, so my wife had never seen Goodfellas, so I was just like, right, well, that's, we're going to, we're what doing treat? that. So yeah, we sat down and we did it. We watched it with our brothers and we realized all of us how much of the film we know off by heart. 
without even really trying. It's just such memorable dialogue. I remember, actually, you know, the first time I knew of the existence of Goodfellas wasn't even from the film. It was because that film was sampled in the UK Apache and Shy FX's track, Original Nutter. Do you remember that? Yeah. Is that the first time you came across it? <laughs> that was oh the first, God. yeah, that was like... Our age, was our it, age was like difference is showing now. I love it. Was, wait, when was that film made in 1990s? That was like 93, 94, so I was like... When was it made? I think it was 1990, yeah. So it was just a couple of years after, and so I'd heard that track, and I was like, what's that from? You know, one day some kids from the neighbourhood carried my mom's groceries all the way home from the store. You know why? It was that respect. And then I found the film. I was like, okay, this is this is even better than Jungle. Sick, um, love it. So yeah. Where were you What's watching? Your... Were you, oh, were you, where were you watching films? Were you going to cinema? Uh no, 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 no. I was really? I was basically watching films um, VHS, on VHS, uh, copied. Mm. Um, people just you know the same way people would lend each other bootlegged cassette tapes for music. There'd be that for films. I mean, really, really going to the cinema, I think that came later, you know, that came actually, I think I would say even in my like kind of early 20s, then I started saying, okay, I want to go to the cinema and properly sit down with this film. I remember actually doing that a lot around the time of when I started working as an actor, Uh, you know, in my early 20s, that's when I started going, I have to go to the cinema more and go and experience this there and just try and understand it a bit better. And um, I don't know why, but this one memory in the cinema is really staying with me. And I wouldn't have before this chat have thought about it as a, as a kind of big moment, but I think it, it actually was now. So I had this memory of watching George Clooney's Good Night and Good Luck. I remember George Clooney back then, he was just smashing it, wasn't he? He was like kind of nominated for best actor with uh, Michael Clayton. Best what director, best writer. I think he was nominated as a as a director, writer, and an actor on like two different films in 2006, 2007. So 2006 was when I, f- I did my first acting job, and that was The Road to Guantanamo, Michael Winterbottom. What had happened after Road to Guantanamo had come out of Berlin was obviously myself and the other cast, we'd been basically illegally detained and roughed up by British intelligence um, officers at Luton Airport and it became a hoo-ha and they wanted me to do a press conference about it, these human rights lawyers, and instead I didn't. I did this, made a rap song about it called The 9-11 Blues, which funnily enough is what led me to Chris Morris. He saw that, led me to Aaron Creevy, saw that. And um, also how we kind of it's, indirectly It's how met. we met as well, yeah, through that randomly. So uh, glad I didn't do the press conference and, and made a tune out of it instead having had that experience of feeling violated in that way, feeling that injustice, I remember going to see Good Night and Good Luck and just being moved to tears um, by this feeling that this has happened before. You know, it's about, there's a film about McCarthyism and the red threat and how people are suddenly in the entertainment business who are demonized. And I remember when I was pulled aside by those intelligence officers, they literally asked me, did you become an actor to further the Muslim struggle? I remember this scene with Robert Downey Jr. and George Clooney and they were talking about, you know, who's being classified as a pinko and the red threat and just being really moved by it. And uh, I don't know, just like making a beautiful film, but it also has something to say about the times we're in. I think that kind of stayed with me. I can completely relate. I mean, I had that sort of experience very young. I was, a, I, maybe it's a generation, I was like always about cinema. Hmm. 
I don't know, like no one encouraged me to read or anything. And I, I, but I knew how to bunk into the cinema from an early age. It was really, it used to be so easy, like just go going through the exit. Yeah. So easy to bunk in the cinema. I was like, this is a joke. Like, so I'd just bunk school and bunk into the cinema. I would go all the time. I'd go all the time. But what was great is like you'd only, there were only two screens in the multiplex I could bunk into. So it's not like I was picking the films. It's just whatever was on. I'd be exposed to the scene, <laughs> to, to the film, you know. So I'd sit through some random, <laughs> you know. But it was like it kind of what was the best me. and worst? Was the best and worst film you accidentally watched? I remember. I remember sitting through some like Tom Hanks film where he goes to some some island. He's having some sort of life crisis, and it was like, oh my god, this is pony. But I'd still sit through it. And then, and, uh, I don't know. I'd watch. I really watch anything. No, I saw Coppola's Coppola's Dracula that way. That moved me to tears. I was like, it was the first time I kind of really like was. I'm obsessed with vampires. Actually, I've always you know mm. Bram Stoker's Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I saw that when I bunked in and saw that cinema. Oh, the Gary away. Oldman one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Gary Oldman in that is he's just someone you just keep watching and you go, how does he do it? How does he keep doing it? It's so larger than life, but he still somehow grounds it in. Yeah, he's just. Wow, crazy. It was like the thing. It was the thing that where you could you could cry, you could feel, you could identify. It's like that emotional, you know, that emotional connection. Not to sound trite, but that's my like the cinema. The cinema was that for me. It was where I could find not answers, but I could identify, and that you could see that you could identify with almost anyone, wherever their background. And well, I saw Breaking the Waves that blew me away. I remember feeling a bit sick watching Breaking the Waves in the cinema. Like, I'd never seen a camera shake like that. I was like, what's going on? It was just so affecting. You know, there's these like moments with Chunky Express. Like these moments were just really like just, you know, the first one car Y film I saw that, that, you know, at that point I knew I wanted to do it. And I was, I was on a film BA, I was at LCP and I, and, I, and I knew I wanted to try and be in a film. But I was still like 20, 19, 20 and I saw that film and it just, that was just like a mind blower for me. Chunking Express. You know, it's funny you should say that because I remember when I saw how I got access to Wong Kar Wai and even Battle of Algiers and all this kind of backlog of amazing films I'd never seen. I, I hadn't been, you know, breaking into art house cinemas like you from an early age. I got it all in well, one go. Well, art house, just local for the one. Right, right. Well, I got them all those films in one go from a trip to Pakistan. So I basically went to Pakistan, yeah, uh, on a family holiday in 2001. The only time we've ever been, all my extended family, we all went together for a cousin's wedding. And we went to the market, as you do, in Karachi. And we were like, you know what? Let's, they've got the most amazing bootleg DVDs here. So we went and it's like a pound or even like 50p for each one. But they're amazing fakes, you know, with the cover and the, the uh, whole thing, and they look properly real. And I remember we just bought everything. We bought every single thing in there. And I came <laughs> home and I watched everything. I was like, I didn't know what 2046 was. You watched I know what all we... your favourite filmmakers on bootlegs. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> You know, funnily enough, years later when I met Michael Winterbottom and I was like, I didn't even know that he'd made 24-hour party people. I knew nothing about him when I worked with him for my first job. And when I found out, I was like, I've seen your film. I've got it in Pakistan. And he goes, mate, bootleg it all you want. Filmmakers don't see any of the back end anyway. I just want people to see it. Um, so, so I thought about 71. Said, 
Like exactly. It's not that anyone yes. wants to rip it off, but the more I see it like ripped off, the better. Wonder when four lions will make will will, will see profits. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, but um, someone somewhere has seen someone. <laughs> but it was it was great to to kind of yeah just kind of get this whole backlog. I've still got that collection of DVDs now here in a red in a red DVD case. Um, but it was kind of interesting to like that was how I ended up getting access to it was from it being dirt cheap on a family holiday to Pakistan. And it's, it is in a way like both what you're saying and what I'm saying, you skipping school and sneaking into the Fulham cinema or me going to Pakistan and finding bootleg DVDs. It is a kind of backdoor, isn't it? It's like you find a backdoor into like film history, into the, and, and that happens in our careers as well. And you find a backdoor into, into the film industry. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise there was any value in watching films or liking films. So I got like randomly asked if I'd work on a music video at 17. And I, you know, I didn't, didn't do work at school, let's face it. And I just wasn't, I wasn't on an academic trajectory at 17. I was just like getting stoned and not doing anything. And then someone, someone knew that I had a passport, the local produced, like the older sister of a local friend of the youth club. No one had passports. So she knew I had a passport. So she ran in my phone and she goes, the first question was like, you got a passport, right? I was like, yeah. I had to because I was French. So I had a French passport. And it was like, um, well, look, do you want to be a runner on a music video? And I was like, what's that? You know, and she said, it's an Ibiza. I'd already said yes. Like, as soon as she said Ibiza, I was like, yes. <laughs> Wait, like, your first job was at 17 in a music video in Ibiza. Yeah, Justin Brown. Justin Brown doing a David Morales cover of Ain't No Man. Oh, that must have been fun. Yeah, I streetcast it for him. I was like, I remember it was just demystified it. I remember like maybe the kind of young arrogance going, it's don't look that hard. And then and then it was like, and then but really what it clicked for me is I was in the edit and the, the, the guy that owned the production company said, What do you what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm not really doing anything. I was working in a bar part-time. He's like offering me a full-time job. And then I was prepping this editor's edits. He taught me to prep his edits on a thing called Lightworks that predates Avid. But this is what I realized when we talked about visual references, he talked about rivers I just knew him. I didn't realize there was a value in it, but I'd seen all these films that he was talking about oh. last week. See, I just knew him and he sort of saw value in me. He's like, no, no. So I, I didn't understand. I wouldn't have known, but I had a kind of visual, a visual reference vocabulary, whatever the right term is. Mm. And actually my obsession of film had a value to it. And then, you know, it didn't occur to me you could be in it. So it was a complete backdoor thing. Yeah, it's funny it's that you crazy. mentioned Battle of Algiers. Did you get a boat? Did you get a bootleg of Battle of Algiers? Yeah, I've got a bootleg of that as well. Because yours, your your aunt is in that film, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. That was the, well. That's the one that caused a heavy shadow. Like, cause because I, I was so young when we went to first time I went to Algiers. I was kids. I couldn't remember, but I remember them putting it on. When I was too young to really appreciate. I can't pretend I liked Battle of Algiers when I first saw it. You know, who can mm. preteens watch that film and enjoy it like you watch? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like. You'd rather watch Rambo, you know, like and um, Star Wars, but but it was always there because my aunt was in it, and it was a point of pride. And whenever I saw my Algerian family, it was mentioned, it was mentioned. And I said, probably one of the films I've seen most times in my life. I've seen it so many times, and it's like wow. it's so influential, like everywhere. But you know, but it's it's she backdoored inside, you know, because particularly when East Streetcast it. That's the only thing she'd ever done, right? But he street cast it and she was in this film. And all of a sudden, this like just Algerian, like she was a seamstress, like just end up in a movie that's like this cultural thing, phenomenon. Mm. And and um it was interesting that she just randomly stumbled into it. 
And I guess I did too in the, in the end. Not that I've reached those heights, but it's kind of, it was just, I don't know, there's no real connection. Yeah, to well, no, nothing happens by accident. It seems there's a, there's a, there was a legacy there you didn't know about. Can I tell you what the most influential film on me is that I've seen more times than anything? Spaceballs. Have you seen Spaceballs? Of course I've seen it. I love Can that I film. tell you, I hadn't I seen Star Wars. I hadn't seen Star Wars as many times as seen Spaceballs. Honestly, like comedy is just such a huge part of when I think about the VHSs we were watching, it was Naked Gun. It was Spaceballs. Oh. All these outrageous songs they have not aged, they've not dated over, well. Over and over again. Oh, yeah, well, oh all, my all the Steve God. Martin. All the Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. The jerk. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, man. All of it. Yeah. I mean, I used to just eat those up. I want to get back to doing comedy. We've got to do something. I want to make, we've got to make comedy. I wanted to make, yeah. I always thought I'd make comedy. I wanted to make comedy, dark comedy, my favorite. Like, I ended up like, doing a lot of stuff with boys running around with guns. Well, we did, we did. That's how we met, really, from the dark comedy of Charlie Brooker's... Um, yeah, Charlie set. Brooker's Dead Set, which was his first... I think it was his first thing he did. He did, he did co-wrote Nathan Barley, didn't he, with Chris Morris, and then he did Dead Set. And that's how we met, because you auditioned me for that and said, listen, I've seen you in Road to Guantanamo, I'd like to work with you. And I was like, right, cool, let's do this. Well, we actually... We'd met, we'd met on this, if you remember, two years prior... On the BBC, oh yeah, we were on the BBC. That's how I met you. Like we were on this BBC, like got us together to some sort, of, some sort. Of, they wanted to put create some sort of YouTube. They show wanted to create a YouTube uh, yeah. show. So they got all these up and coming actors and directors yeah. and put them yeah. all in a room and said, "Andrew Davies, the writer, is going to oversee that was the creation it. of these characters." Wait to make a contemporary this life. I think it's a show but on made, YouTube with the BBC. Yeah, yeah. you were the diverse. Like so, there was like. They cast a room quite interestingly. Like, I'm still friends with Tom Harper that was in that room. Yeah, Me, Jim Martin was in there. Yeah, that's um, right. There's a couple. Yeah, there's a few people in there. Julia, and, um, oh, I think Julie, Julie, I can't remember. There's a load of people. But I remember, like, you know, they, they do little workshops and people would have to talk about the work. And I remember seeing you. It's like, oh, you know, like, I'm a Muslim bear in the room. And, and you were talking. And uh, and I'd seen I'd seen 9-11 blues. So I sort of find that, oh, right. And I put, I put the two two together and I was like you were so so sharp like you know that that searing intelligence was so clear in the room and I was like I want to work with that Brer and then as soon as I did the Charlie Brooker I read the Charlie Brooker scripts obviously as always everything was for white actors but Charlie wasn't doesn't think like that I was like look Charlie that's like this is actor Riz Ahmed and he knew you he knew 9-11 blues because you know Charlie's like this Consummate, he's like consumes cultural sponge, isn't he? Oh my god, I don't know when that brother sleeps, you know, he's just like one of those, you know. But he he knew you were and then you know, auditioned you, and I was so glad you were in it. Like, it was, um, that's when our friendship really started. Was that, yeah, and that's the only that's the only thing we ever made together back in 2007. But in a way, wow, it's crazy, isn't it? We're but, but in a way, bro. I would say that you know, your fingerprints have been all over a lot of my work since then. Um, for sure. And, you know, when I think of The Long Goodbye, the short film um, we just did with Anil Karia, you introduced me to Anil. Um, you know, you brought Anil through on Top Boy as well. And it was from Anil's short film with Kano, of course, you know, he met through Top Boy that I, I got to know Anil. And, and so there was that. And also that's true of Encounter, you know, in a way, because Encounter is, you know, Michael Pierce is amazing, amazing. He's the real deal director, you know. Um, also contemporary Incredible think, filmmaker. Incredible filmmaker. Yeah. And he made, he made Beast, um, which was, was such a special film. 
And then I was like, what's this guy doing next? Got hold of this script. And I spoke to you about it. And you said, well, look, you know, I've been talking to Michael a bit about what he's doing next. And, you know, I'll plant the seed and, and see if he's open to the idea. Because to be honest, me playing a returning U.S. Army veteran was a stretch for me imaginatively. I, I didn't see people like me being put in those roles. I didn't see myself in roles like that. And that's when I knew I should do it. Because well, no, if it's just, if it's going to stretch me, it's going to do that for audiences. It's like dead set. Like it was not, you know, it's not like because we cast you, Charlie Brooker did a rewrite to introduce a sort of Muslim story angle. Do you know what I mean? You were just playing a guy, right? And it was, and, you know, we've talked about this many times, you know, the importance of telling our own stories and owning our own stories, not lending our ethnicity for somebody else to tell them. Like, like it's very important that we own and tell our own stories now. But like, also, that we just that you know for your that you just be able to be an actor in a story. I remember, like, yeah, I, I was talking, and I can't say by the way, I can't take credit for taking the Neil, bringing the Neil through Top Boy. Like they they hired the Neil, and I I met him as an exec on Top Boy, but I didn't. I can't take credit for that, but I certainly connected to him deeply because I, I just think he's like a brilliant filmmaker, and I love his eye and his sensibility, you know. I love what you guys made together. That short. Yeah. Film. Well, you did connect. You did connect me to Neil. And you did connect me to Michael, and then Michael, I we ended up stalking him, didn't we? I was emailing him, calling him, meeting him up for coffee, getting you to call him, saying, listen, put me in this film. And to be fair, he was like, look, I think a white guy has to play this role because it's about Ameri white America's fear of invasion and immigration. And I said, actually, I've got a different take on it. What if it's about this? What is it about being an outsider in an uncertain world? What if it's the, the stakes are raised by having a person of colour being chased by law enforcement, someone with this name suddenly being seen to have kidnapped, quote unquote, their kids? And, you know, he, he did that. And again, he's done that thing where he walks that tightrope between genre and character study. And, you know, I have to say, of all my films, it's the one that my cousins went to see and they all went, this is your best film. They went like, they love it because it's got helicopters and explosions, but it's also moving. Yeah, and also yeah, I think yeah. it's because you've got this brown family on screen in like a proper action genre type movie. It's quite unique in that it way. It feels like quite a big, it's like, like it's shot, it's quite a big commercial movie, isn't it? It plays as one. It feels like one, but it's from a very, very personal place from him because he's, his father is actually an army veteran and he was raised by a single father who was, you know, a returning army veteran. And there was... And the challenges of that. So it's actually weirdly more personal, even though it's got more toys and explosions. It's much more personal than his than his last film, in a way. He's he nurtured that. It's his baby, you know. And I'm and more credit to him for like leaning in and, and making it more interesting by by putting you in it and widening out what it could yeah. be. Remember, like, like yeah, look, I valued our friendship a lot in the industry. It's been you say your finger, my fingerprints all over things you've done like the same here not to mention Mogul Mowgli which you exact as well which was obviously very close to my heart I mean I love the process on that remember when I was like first got my council flat and I was painting my flat he came around with his script he's like I don't know if I should do this we sat in my stairs because like it was too toxic to stay in my living room and it was four lines we were reading it together and we were like I was like oh my god this is the best thing I've ever read bruv like <laughs> just yeah. like laughing and I was like no yeah. I don't think I'm going to do it and I said no to it I said no to it and then he came back and said, no. I was like, I don't want to play terrorist. Yeah. He said, no, just come back and, 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 and just trust me, that's not my intention here. And I'd become friends with him by that point. And then I, and then I, when he said, read it again, I came over to yours. I said, can you read this? I don't know if I should do it. What should I? And you were like, just do it, man. 
because I didn't even know Chris Morris's work, and you were like, "Do you not know who this guy is? He's really, really funny and well known. Like, you should do it." He's like the best satirist we have. He's a purist, isn't he? Because he's like, he look at Four Lions. What a journey to make that. You know, he's just never. He's really taken the difficult path, and he's made incredibly worth like worthwhile films as a result. Yeah. But um, I listen, bro. Congratulations on everything that's been going on. It's it's inspiring. I admire like the choices you're making, and they're bold, aren't they? And it's like. It's so different. You look at Mogar Mowgli, Encounter, Sound of Metal. How different, what, like, what a crazy journey. How are you feeling about it? Is it hard to process everything? You know, I guess you don't, you don't often stop to look back, do you? You're always looking forward, just wondering, like, you know, what's next? And I guess one thing I feel more now is just aware of time. I blinked and 15 years have gone by. And I'll blink again and it will go by again. And I've still and I feel honestly like I'm just getting started. Like I know you do as well. We're just getting started. We're just now building the vocabulary and confidence to tell our own stories, the ones that we're burning to tell. Exactly. And exactly. um and then that to me, that just feels exciting. And which just brings us back to British cinema, right? I want to come back now and tell these films, tell these stories. Exactly. Well, it's about time. I think. Yeah, it's been 20 years almost since our last one. So, uh, or 15 years since our last one. So it's about time, I think. Yeah, let's not blink too much, bro. It's time to jump on it. Look, man, um, congratulations on it. I love you, bro. Thank you, bro. Love you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Biffa Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and make sure you get our next episode straight away. And if you've missed any, check back in our feed for more podcasts from Biffa featuring the likes of Harris Dickinson, Tom Ellis, Wami Masaku, and Morvith Clark. Thanks for listening. The Biffa Podcast is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by me, Jake Cunningham. I'm also one of the producers, alongside Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. The show is edited by James Payne.